Gareth will be bringing us uh, God's word uh, this evening. And um, yeah, please come up, uh, uh, Gareth. Yeah, let's just pray for Gareth. Uh, Father, thank you so much for Gareth, Lord God. And we just thank you for the gift that he is. Lord God, even as we have been praying, Lord God, for spiritual gifts, Lord God, we look at men like this, and Lord God, and we see the demonstration of your presence with, it, with among us, Lord God, because we see you in him. We see, Lord God, uh, the, your power, Lord God, at work through him. Lord God, even tonight, Lord God, as he speaks, Father God, may your anointing fall upon him in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. We pray your anointing may, may it fall upon this man right now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Michele. Yeah. Thanks, man. Good evening. I greet you in the wonderful name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hasn't it been so great to have such wonderful times of worship? And uh, I uh, was just listening to the, the buzz as you guys arrived and then the buzz at every break. And I just feel so fat and full of joy because this is what God always intended. Amen. Hallelujah. So uh, I uh, get to kick us off what is going to be a number of messages in James chapter 5. And uh, I've been debating whether or not to tell you this. Um, this is how it happens in church meetings. Um, you know when you feel like you should put your hand up and say something, and then before you know it, you've said it. And then before you finish saying it, you think, I shouldn't have said it. And all of a sudden, you've got the job. And so we decided that over the next few days, thank you, Benisi, for just absolutely kicking us off. And then for the rest of these messages, we decided to look at the book of James and chapter 5. And somehow I put my hand up and I got verses 1 to 6. And you'll see why I mean that. In just a moment and so if you ever have a preaching assignment and you find yourself quoting to yourself all scripture is God breathed you know that you're going to need to be on your knees and this passage has forced me to my knees but I'm truly grateful to this passage as we've been meditating and we're going to be meditating on the theme for the rest of our time together of what are the types of churches and leaders that we believe God wants to bless Africa with from James chapter 5. And so that's the overarching theme. And uh, we get to jump into James chapter 5. And I'm going to just steal a little bit of verse 7. Just to get a bit of a ray of hope uh, there. So I've gone beyond my brief. I've confessed it already. One of the contextual realities we face as leaders in Africa. Is that our continent is a continent with terrible inequalities. Between rich and poor that are evident. And therefore, many of us are going to lead churches or are leading churches, will plant churches in societies that will be very unequal. And tonight's passages, uh, passage, I believe, will help us to both lead churches and plant churches that hold out a gospel hope in every single context in Africa to both the rich and the poor person. And so with that in mind, let's read our passage and then we'll unpack it. James chapter 5, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are not eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields. 
which you have kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He doesn't resist you. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. I think you can see why I've been on my knees. My outline for the message tonight is, an overheard warning is worth hearing, understanding the warning. Thirdly, an overheard warning that gives hope to the oppressed and some application. Firstly, an overheard warning is worth hearing. James says here in verse 1, come now you rich, weep and howl for the miseries. It doesn't even say that might, that are coming upon you. Now, I think you'll agree with me that warnings are a really important part of life and a really important part of Scripture. And when there is a warning, there are two things that are vital. Firstly, you need to understand who's being warned. And secondly, you need to understand what are they being warned of. And so it's only the foolish person who doesn't pay attention to a warning that was intended for them. So when you're driving along and you see a sign and it says slow down to 60 kilometers an hour or beware of the incredibly sharp right-hand turn and the cliff beyond it, you're the idiot if you don't obey the warning. So the question in James 5, 1 to 6 is who is being warned? Now, if you read any commentators, you'll find that they don't agree. Some commentators would argue that James is writing to rich believers. He's writing to rich believers because they're just a subset of all believers. And such people would say, and they'd be right, that the church is not exempt from people who've used their wealth selfishly, hoarding for themselves, and even mistreating others. And so maybe it's not surprising that James is warning believers. There's other commentators who would say, well, James actually inclusively addresses brothers and sisters. In your Bible, it'll say brothers with, an, with a, a footnote. But he addresses the brothers and sisters 19 times in his letter. But here, he doesn't address them. He rather addresses them, you rich people. He seemingly places distance between the brothers and sisters and the rich people. So is this a warning then for someone else? Also, if you look at the content of the warning, the warning doesn't seem to be applicable to the believer in Jesus because it appears that there's no hope. There's no hope offered. It's not, listen, if you don't repent, it's just, this is coming. No offer of hope. And so it doesn't seem applicable to the believer to weep and well for what is coming, that you've got no chance for repentance, no call for repentance. And lastly, those commentators who say this is not for believers would say, James 5, 1 to 6, they'd point out, is followed immediately in verse 7 by the common address to the brothers and sisters, for them to be patient in the Lord. So you could either argue either way later on over coffee, but because I've got the mic, I'm going to humbly say that I believe this is a warning to rich, unbelieving people, and that James is speaking hope and strength to oppressed believers. He's addressing those who are not present, 
the rich unbelieving person, and he's pronouncing God's judgment on the way that they've lived and oppressed others. And James is doing this in the presence of the believers. He's letting the believers hear this so that they will be encouraged to be patient, verse 7, and for them to hold on for the coming of the Lord. However, before you amen, Rigby, he walked right into it. Even though this is, I believe, a warning for rich, unbelieving people who have mistreated others, all of us know that an overheard warning is important to listen to yourself. Who has not been in the situation where you heard someone else being warned and you sat up because you knew your life? Who hasn't been in a family when your brother or sister got scolded for not cleaning their room and you quickly went away and cleaned your room? Or you heard of some guy who had a car accident and he had an insurance claim and then the insurance company said, your tires are bald and so your claim has been rejected and you thought, I'm checking my tires. You see, when you hear a warning to someone else, it ought to warn you too. And so I believe there's an overheard warning here. And the purpose of this overheard warning is that we can learn something about God. We can learn about what He thinks about wealth and oppression and injustice. We learn something about God's heart. And although the certain judgment that is pronounced here doesn't apply to believers in the same way that it would apply to an unbeliever, it should no less cause us to lean in and to ask God to align our hearts and our heads with His ways. So let's take a time to just understand the warning here. So I've decided to group it into two groups of indictments against these wicked rich people. Firstly, he says essentially, beware of hoarding, verse 2 and 3, and beware of self-indulgence in verse 5. Let me just read it again. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. The indictment against these wealthy people is essentially that they've stored up so much wealth for themselves. They've stored up more than they can need or even use that they can't use it fast enough, so it's rotting. But the rotting excess that they've got is an indictment against them because it's no use to them because they can't even use it that fast and it's not been useful for anyone else because they've not shared it with anyone else. And they are doing this storing up in the time that is described as the last days, which for a believer should awaken us to the day of judgment. They're doing this at the very moment that they should be sorting themselves out. They're doing this in the last days. Jesus told us to store up. I think James is definitely drawing on Jesus' words from Matthew 6, 19 to 20, where he's saying, where Jesus told us to store up riches in heaven without generosity. That's what Jesus taught, and James is pronouncing judgment on the exact opposite. They did the opposite by hoarding stuff here on earth. They thought they were storing up riches for their benefit at some later time. But in reality, what James says to us is these riches that they selfishly stored up for themselves will become the evidence against them at the judgment. 
that which they thought was their assets will become their indictment. More than this, James pronounces judgment on their self-indulgent lifestyle, verse 5. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. The injustice and ungodliness of self-indulgence is what's in view here. And, and what's especially pertinent here is they are being self-indulgent and luxurious while they're ignoring the needs of others. We get to it in a moment. But verse 4, while they're mistreating their own employees. So they're being self-indulgent while not paying their employees properly. James uses a shocking image here that I'll just mention, but he uses an image of a cow that's being fattened for the slaughter. It's, it's like the cow that's been put into the special field, so there's just so much grass, the cow's thinking, man, this is just awesome. But the cow doesn't know he's getting ready for the knife. And that's what James says is happening to these people. So the warning here is beware of sinful hoarding and beware of sinful self-indulgence. So spend your money, sow your money, enjoy your money, always with an eye on the coming age and always with an eye to the heart of God, which is generous to others. So you might say, didn't you give your message the title Gospel Hope? What is the gospel hope here? I'm so glad you asked. Well, money is not good or bad. The gospel sets us free from looking to wealth and possessions for security or satisfaction. And because our hope is not in material stuff and riches, we can be truly set free not to selfishly serve or hoard money, but to make money serve God's purposes because we've been set free from it. And so money doesn't have to become the thing that holds us, but it becomes the tool that we use for the advancement of the kingdom of God. How would you apply this to your church? Because we're church leaders here in the room. How can we be churches that bless Africa in light of these verses? I want to warn you of being a church that is actually self-centered. Of being self-indulgent. Beware as a church of ever hoarding. I can just imagine the finance team meetings that just think we just need a bit of a bigger reserve. I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up, but I think there's many churches here who've never had a reserve. You must say, this hasn't been our problem. How much reserve do you need in light of James 5? I'm not saying you shouldn't have a reserve. I'm just saying how much. Rather, steward, wisely use any excess God ever gives you. Use it to bless and advance the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Amen? Use it to encourage and provide for other churches that don't have a reserve. Give generously towards our wider partnership in advance. And I want to say you guys are doing this. We were with hub leaders across Africa this uh, last few days, and it was such a joy. We actually had to ask the accountants if they got it right. It was such a joy to say to the guys, guys, do you know that the giving towards Africa, because when we give, we all give towards Africa. We give towards global, we give towards Africa, and we're increasingly giving towards our hubs so that we can do more and we can reach Africa. Do you know that the giving between last year, 2022 and 2023, is up 
68% this year. And it's not up because of one, oh, there's an, this is what I asked. No, there must be a reason. And so I, I wrote an email immediately. Have you ever done this? It can't be such good news. The reason is because the number of churches has nearly doubled that are giving to Africa. So guys, I want to say, well done. If we have excess, may we steward it in light of James 5. Amen? I want to say to you that we've got such opportunities even in this room to bless and advance the kingdom of God on this continent. We've got guys who are needing help with church buildings, and if, if just some more money flowed towards them, suddenly a youth leader would be released, or this would happen, or that would happen. Brothers and sisters, let's make it happen. Let's not hold on to money, but let's release money for the kingdom. Amen? More than this, as a church, make sure that we are blessing the poor in our city and our town the town that we're part of, or the city we're part of, because the gospel is good news to the poor, amen? And so our gospel-shaped churches must be good news to the poor. Simon Pettit, the man that wrote, um, discipled me and set me on a course, he famously years ago said this, if we are going to see the masses swept into our churches, we must remember the poor, and we must be eager to do it, Amen. Last end of this point, the gospel hope that we have in light of James 5 is that of repentance. You see, if you are guilty currently or if you have been guilty of hoarding and self-indulgence, whether it's an individual thing or a church thing, we have the most remarkable gift of repentance. It is the most precious gift. I've become more and more and more aware of how precious the gift of repentance is. And the gift of God's forgiveness to us. And so if you are a wealthy person that's got this wrong or a wealthy church that's got this wrong, you can be forgiven and you can walk free. What a gift from Jesus. And so I want to ask you, have you overheard a warning to some rich people who aren't even saved? And hopefully it's also warned you. Secondly, the warning is that we should be aware of treating others unjustly. Verse 4 or even oppressing them, even killing them. Verse 6. Let me just read it quickly. Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, which are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He doesn't resist you. You see, these wealthy people had cheated their workers out of pay. They've defrauded them. They've even killed them. But here's what James is saying. <clears throat> God sees everything. And God is against wicked people who defraud and who oppress others. Just read Micah chapter 2, verse 1 to 2. James vividly says that unpaid wages, the, the wages that weren't paid, that are still in the pocket of the employer, those wages are crying out to the Lord of heaven's armies. It's like they've got a direct line to the Lord of Heaven's armies, and He is roused by the wages that are still in your pocket. What is the application for us in this? Brothers and sisters, may it never be said of us individually or as churches that we treated those who work for us unfairly, that we oppressed them, or that we defrauded them in any way. May we never justify underpaying someone with not rereading James 5. 
And may we be moved to hear the cries of those who are being unjustly treated. And may we stand with them against such injustice, because God hates injustice. As churches and as, and as individuals, one of the ways we will bless Africa is if we will be agents of the kingdom of God, bringing hope for oppressed people and communities. Brothers and sisters, we will not bless Africa if we plant and lead churches that value our nice, neat services and programs while we're ignoring the glaring needs of the poor right around us. We will not bless Africa. May we be churches that preach an integral gospel message that moves people to engage with the issues of poverty and injustice that are unique to our context. May we never be accused of the troubled spirituality being warned of in Isaiah 58. But may we be do those who do justice, who love kindness, and who walk humbly before our God. Micah 6, eight. So brothers and sisters, may we search our hearts. As we've heard this warning to, to unbelievers, may we search our hearts and say, Lord, if there's any offense in me, lead me in the way everlasting. May we use the incredible gift of forgiveness and may we walk free. Hallelujah. Thirdly, an overheard warning that gives hope to the oppressed. You see, I believe the warning that's given here in James 5, 1 to 6, to these wicked, rich, uh, unbelievers, uh, these oppressors, was in fact for the hearing of the poor. The poor, oppressed believers, and there are millions of those in our continent, Africa. And James was writing to them, actually, so that they would be fortified in their hardship, they would be strengthened in their faith, and they would be comforted knowing that their pain is not unseen by their God. They would be encouraged knowing that the wrongs that were being committed against them have not gone unnoticed by their God. And James goes on to exhort these brothers and sisters in verse 7, the first little bit, and he says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. I want to firstly say what this doesn't mean. This does not mean don't act and don't do justice. Just go back to my second point. This does not mean as churches we tell people who tell us that things are hard or they're being harshly treated, wait for the Lord. This does not mean that. This is what I believe it does mean. It means two things. One, we ought to do justice. We ought to work for the rights of the oppressed. We ought to expose injustices. And we ought to encourage believers who are being oppressed, knowing that God is the one who's just, and that the all-seeing, all-knowing one will work perfect justice when the Lord comes. <clears throat> 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7 says, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven, that's when this will happen. You see, there are many situations where it is right for us to set our hope not on receiving justice in this world. There are many situations where there won't necessarily be justice in this world. And for those people, they maybe are needing to be encouraged to watch and to wait for the coming of the Lord. They are to trust that God is just and that God says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. 
You see the clear and certain judgment in verses 1 to 6 on the forms of wickedness that are in view. They should give comfort to us, the oppressed believer. In our churches and in our context that we plant into Africa, we will have many believers who will be oppressed. And we are to encourage them and bless them by saying things like this. God will act on your behalf. God hears your cry and God sees your suffering. And he wants you to know that he is the righteous judge of the earth. And he wants you to know there is no evil that will go unpunished, that is unrepented of. They need to know that they do not need to seek vengeance because he will seek vengeance on their behalf. Their responsibility is to watch and to wait and to even forgive those who are oppressing them and to not lose heart. Paul writes to the believers in Rome, and he says this in Romans 12. <clears throat> Beloved, never. Say never. never. That means never. Avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Can you hear our Lord Jesus ringing in your ears? You see, in modern times, forgiveness is on hard times. Forgiveness is seen by some as enabling oppression and abuse. If you forgive someone, you've actually enabled an oppressor. And so angry cries for justice and canceling people are far more popular. But the gospel hope we preach is that we are both to set oppressed free and we to overcome evil with good. We're to wake, wait patiently in forgiveness for the Lord's coming. But this is only possible to do if you know that the Lord is just and He is righteous and he will avenge that which has been done to you. If it's not repented of, he will avenge it. He will avenge it. So you can release it. You can let go your hand on it. Because you trust that he will avenge it. And so you are freed from bitterness and all other sins that will come with that. And you will overcome evil with good. And this is the gospel which is good news to the poor. This is good news that isn't necessarily a guarantee of a better or a fair wage now. But it is the good news that God hears, God sees, and He will act. And so we can forgive and we can be set free as we patiently wait for the coming of the Lord. So brothers and sisters, we're to do justice, we're to love kindness, we're to walk humbly before our God. We ought to even warn people who are acting wickedly and oppressing people that God will judge it. You should warn people like that. We should call them to repent and ask Jesus to forgive them. That's our gospel hope. And as we do such things, we're ushering in the kingdom of God. But we should also not have an over-realized eschatology because the kingdom is both now and not yet. And therefore, not every injustice will be put right in this age. And not everyone will receive their fair wage or never be oppressed. And so we should be biblical 
And we should strengthen and we should encourage believers in such situations to overcome evil with good and to encourage them to walk in forgiveness because they know God will repay evil and God will avenge every injustice. So as we come to land, don't you love how this scripture does two things simultaneously? It doesn't allow us to ignore an overheard warning. We should skrik vaka. So if you need a South African to translate for you later, just do that. Just go and move towards one. But you should, you should be awakened because God hates injustice and judgment is coming. And God wants us individually and as churches to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly. God wants us to be like him. He wants us to set oppressed people free. But secondly, this passage shows us that God doesn't call us to be angry agents of change, but rather to be patient, hopeful brothers and sisters who know my Lord is coming. The Lord of angel armies has heard every injustice. He has seen it all. And Thessalonians says this, God considers it just to repay with affliction those who've afflicted you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed, not tomorrow, from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers, we should hold out the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ because otherwise this is what's coming to people. So we can be patient and we can forgive because to overcome evil with good is not to say that evil is good, but to say I'm trusting my Savior who will avenge evil as only he can on the day that he comes to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who believed. Brothers and sisters, we have a gospel hope. Repentant sinners will be forgiven. Wickedness will be no more. Injustice will be dealt with. Oppression will be overturned. Let's bless Africa with that hope. Amen. Can I ask you to stand? I want to pray for you. I want to pray for us. Why don't you close your eyes? <clears throat> I've been praying that God's word would have an effect in your life and my life. And so I just want you to pause and to say, Lord, what are you saying to me? How are you moving towards me right now, God? And I want you, if you're an elder, I want you to think about your own life, but I want you to also think about your church. Is there a warning that you've overheard that in some way applies to you? Why did you just do business with God right now? We have an amazing Savior. He says, if 
you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Praise God that we don't hear warnings and then there's no offer of forgiveness or repentance. Why don't you just do business with God right now? Why don't you just speak to him? Just take a moment. We're not in a rush. We're on conference. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus told a chilling parable in Luke 16 about a rich man and a beggar that the rich man knew. Has God maybe warned you today as an individual, as a church, that you've just, you've been self-centered about something and you've ignored something that's right in front of you? Just ask God to show you the people or the situations that are right in front of you. That somehow through hard-heartedness or busyness or you, you, you've not been listening to the voice of the Spirit. Why did you just say, Lord, I want to be so conscious of your presence right now. I want to be so conscious of your voice. Say, Lord, speak to me. I was preaching on Luke 16 just the other day and God reminded me of a guy, my Lazarus. I could not carry on that preparation that day until I repented. It's such a gift to us when God speaks to us. It might not be nice, but it's such a gift. Is God speaking to you about any situation? God doesn't want you to live under condemnation. He just wants to set you free through forgiveness. You have a gospel hope. If you as a person or as a church, if you know you've, you've been hoarding, God says, there's such excitement and such thrill in obeying me and using that money for the advancement of my kingdom. I pray for release of finances in our churches and through you vicariously to the members of your churches. I pray for a release that we cannot contain. I pray for buildings to be built and for staff to be employed and for, and for the advance of the gospel, for next generation leaders to be, to be raised up and to be, to be financed. And Lord, we pray for a release of funds. Funds that would have rotted and would have been an indictment. Lord, Lord, release them in Jesus' name. I pray for that. And Lord, I pray as churches that we would have an integral gospel message. That you would equip us, Lord. Thank you so much for some of the seminars that are even happening here at this conference. I pray, God, you'd give us eyes to see. You'd give us hands. You'd give us wisdom and understanding to know what you're calling us into. God, deliver us from good ideas and good works, Lord God. But, Lord, lead us by your Spirit. Lord, may we be those churches and those individuals that bless Africa. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.